soon it will be October, which means fewer showers. Not those kind of showers, I'm not that into Halloween. The type of showers that fall in the middle of a warm day and make the cement give off that particular odor. So what I'm going to do is an ode to storms. I hope you enjoy. People ask, who are the riders on the storm by the doors? Riders on the storm are people who just can't fit into the society that surrounds them. So they just try to hang on and ride out the storm. Jim Morrison was a rider on the storm who was thrown into this world, if there ever was one. And the texture of this song is amazing, especially the keyboard work. When did Riders in the Storm come out? Riders in the Storm is a song by American rock band The Doors. It was released as the second single from their sixth studio album and last with singer Jim Morrison, L.A. Woman, in June 1991. It reached number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S., number 22 on the U.K. Singles Chart, and number seven in the Netherlands. Who are the Rapture Riders in the Storm by? Riders in the Storm, Fred Whitley, by Snoop Dogg featuring the Doors, and Rapture Riders, Storm. This is IGN Cyberpunk 2007-7 walkthrough for Riders in the Storm. One of the many Badlands side jobs. Continue below for our tips and tricks on how to finish this mission without too much trouble. Where is Saul? Rewards
hours in the game and I get a call from the guy and I'm just watching. I seek your help. I mean, if I don't have to uh, call this, yeah, I'm not going to help you. Call it in and I'll get this car. Let's have a call. Those members are planning the next steps of the mission. my computer. This is image giving you a shard to check out a wraith camp where Solon is being held prisoners and the following objectives to complete this portion of Riders in the Storm. There's Camp Gate. There's building guard building near the entrance. There's tire tracks. Wraith truck in back. Skywalk bridge between buildings. Once you finish the drone objectives, disconnect the shard when given the chance. You'll engage in optional dialogue now with another Alticaldos remaining in near the car. Otherwise, head over to the Pan Am and Mitch. Get a superjet injector for Mitch. Now hop into the van, you're leaning against the dive the Pan Am to Raven's Shiv camp. After parking the van, you'll need to sneak into the camp. Where is Saul? Advertisement, see how much you can save today, get a quote, state farm. Run to the left of the camp along the cliff and sneak inside the camp quietly. You can follow this around the back and reach the main building without running into many guards. The main large garage door doesn't quite require any attribute levels to open either. After entering the warehouse from here, follow the left wall until you reach the stairs heading down. There are two distinct guards down here that you can walk past. Continue through the two sets of doors until you find someone at a computer to take out. The next room has Saul strapped to a chair where you can inject him with the superjet. You can either exit the way you came in or leave through a maintenance tunnel using technical ability 9. Once you make it outside, Pan Am will put up pull up with a van for both you and Saul to get into. Pan Am will eventually park near a building that you can hide in for shelter. Head to the back where a fuse box is that you can interact with to turn on the power. Take the power back. Saul will mention that it's getting cold, leading to the next objective. And then we'll ask you to head outside and check the external panel to fix the heat. After interacting with the panel outside, return inside. And then romance choices. Sit down on the couch and listen to Saul talk. The kind of conversation option will appear. 
the sickies in your birth slider. Then become paranoid if you're following the pattern on that sky. By taking a shitty idea and have it right. The next dialogue choice to make to the nomad life path is to use to what I would rather not follow in the vacuum footsteps. Follow the low choices to further your connection with them. Probably just the nomads and the same better. Or nomad. Hard to get used to. Please if you stay man, find a choice. Likely not before that. I'd be more comfortable with your shoes off now. I have a choice that's pan in the right corner. Got a few ideas you choose. Pan will start to doze off and Johnny's silver hand will briefly appear. They call me in college. After B wakes up, head outside where Pan Am and Saul are waiting. Continue speaking with Pan Am as she wanders over to her bike. Eventually she'll mention your reward. But before you grab it, stay near her. People trying to romance Pan Am will have a time choice here. Stop Pan Am. Wait. About last night. Afterward, grab the Overwatch iconic weapon leaning against the other bike. If you grab the rifle before waiting to stop Pan Am, you may miss the time choice. After speaking to Johnny, the side job, Riders on the Storm will be complete. For more Cyberpunk 2077 guides and Badlands side jobs, gigs, and other distractions too, click the links below. More walkthroughs will be added over time. Badlands, side jobs, side jobs, badlands, gigs, gigs. Next, we need a little help from my friend. That's why I don't like playing big places because I feel so small. I end up, you know, it's not like, you know, not complaining. Uh, but you do, you give all your stuff. You give it all away and then you ain't got nothing left and I ain't got nothing to give to my girlfriend. I ain't got nothing left to give to my friends or the, even the band. There's like this empty vegetable. And, Well, you know, like, you know, I was in this, uh, like, uh, ordering some eggs in a small coffee shop, and someone came up and stopped me, and the waitress, this older lady, kind of witnessed it, and said, oh, you're, uh, what's his name? I said, yeah, yeah. She says, what, you don't like it? And I said, well, it's just 
no big deal, you know, just this guy who, uh, if you don't like it, you know, you certainly took the wrong business to be in, you know. <laughs> she had a really good point. The fact is, is when you sit in your room playing guitar, you sit in places, uh, you have this need to get this aggression out or something. The last thing that any musician has to worry about or any kid has to worry about is like, being on the cover of Time magazine. You don't have to worry about that. You know, it's not a ridiculous one. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about being successful. It's, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So it still seems like it's just happening to someone else. You know, written so much. Or rather, we've been writing about you know the social connotations of. Certain, you know, societal structures and more about what comes from within each one of us or something. And uh, yeah, that's just how I write. That's 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 the other thing about you know, like you observe you, you observe kind of people to write, and if. Uh, Things change, and your your face is everywhere, and you're on uh, magazines and TVs and stuff. Then all of a sudden, you become the observed. You know, it's like when I have always been that way, and if I'm going to do something, I really, you know, we all want to do it like the best we can. And so that's enough pressure. That's that's like that's that's good pressure. You know, that's going to make us do well. We don't we don't need any other pressure. We don't need any outside. We don't need. You know, you you don't uh, you don't really even need positive reinforcement. You don't even really need negative reinforcement. Maybe it'll just turn out that I don't ever read another thing again, or watch another thing, or, or see myself on TV and go, I look like shit, you know, or whatever. Maybe I'll just turn off all that and just sit and uh, make this music. Really, you know, so as it is, I'm gonna get through these shows. It seems like the best thing to do for us and for the people coming to see the shows. Um, it's been healthy for all of us, though uh, incredibly difficult. And after that, I might not, I, I might not, or we as a band, I don't, we might not play for a very long time. He was telling, he said some very real things. And, and in fact, I had a conversation with someone last night where I was telling him, I was telling him that uh, I just don't, I can't, I can't go out and play if I don't feel real. I just can't do it. And it's hard when there's so much like hype around the band, you know, like how can you live up to that? And you just want to go out and be real. So I can't do it if I'm not feeling real. I don't think any of us can. And we know if we if we aren't, we ain't gonna like go through the motions or act it out. You, you end up just seeing a little more subdued show, you know? But uh, I mean, me Stone and I look at each other and we know. It happens very rare, and actually, usually when we communicate that by the fourth song or something, after that it gets better. You know, even having known that we're going through the same thing. But um, as far as like scheduling some monster tour or something, yeah, you know, it's not going to happen right now because uh, we need to protect the music and we need to protect ourselves. And this was obviously a huge example. And I hope some, I, I hope a few people realize it. It's just, we're fragile people. That's why you like us. That's why you, we write these songs.
or we're able to write these songs because we open up our underbelly and 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 pour out and and some people take it you know i don't know if they're taking advantage or whatever it's even their business to write and and if they're going to write then everyone seems to write about the negative and not the positive it, it, it's constantly seen i don't know why there's old Johnny Winter lyric, uh, bad news travels like a wildfire, good news travels slow. And it wouldn't be so bad to spread a little positivity, you know. We're all, we all got this shit. I mean, it might be more interesting to read but uh, the negative, but a little positive would help. So anyways, while you got your, uh, your coat of armor open, you know, stirring up those good flakes and everything like that. And indeed, the board's brief, first of all, was to show Canada to the Canadians that film needed to be simply informative, reflecting the variety of the country, its natural wonders, industrial marvels, from the sophisticated to the most primitive, from cowboys to Eskimos. People uh, with uh, Eskimo films the light behind it. Thank you. 
a series of mixes or dissolves, the film entirely dissolves. As soon as one dissolves, uh, finished, another dissolves again. I placed the camera facing the wall and I stuck a card on the wall and I did um, a, a, a drawing with pastel uh, on, on the card. I photographed that drawing and then painted the drawing. Then uh, regularly, gradually, I changed it. But each time I made a change in the drawing, I photographed it again, painting it in and painting it out. So the whole film was a series of paid in, paid out, paid in, paid out, paid in, paid out. So, so it was all just uh, moving uh, very on clear film and in front of my grids like to register the image from frame to frame but I thought of making a film on black film so there's no means of registration of the image from frame to frame and I, I tried an image here and left about 10 black frames and another image there and black frame and projected it and uh, I got very excited by the, the result because uh, there was a sort of continuity. The image that I drew here, here, and here were related. They were changing in form, like so that. But uh, the relationship showed up even with the ten black frames. Sometimes we, I got very excited about uh, trying two frames, three frames, four frames. Because on each of the four frames, for instance, the, the, the image would change a little bit. Or, uh, or, or they might be completely different images. Uh, but when that went on the screen, you saw a sudden burst of, uh, of image. It gave you an overall impression, a sort of subliminal impression. The last frame of the frame cluster was the most important. It lingered longer in the eye than the uh, others. The first frame lingered next. The interim between frames were almost lost.
I be talking at about this level with Pat Morita? Uh, yes. before, but I must say that until the Karate Kid, I had never been aware of your first name, Noriyuki. No one was aware of my first name uh, until the Karate Kid. I've, I've always been Pat Morita, except, except in high school. Um, all the kids I grew up with still called me the shortened version of it. Yeah, hi, Nori, what are you doing today? <laughs> but Noriyuki was the name my parents gave me. And, um, the way this kind of came about, the name changed. The name. I, I had never considered a stage name or a pen name or anything like that. But um, prior to shooting the movie, Jerry Weintraub, our producer, and some of the production, we were sitting around talking about it, a lot of things. And like out of the blue, he says, well, it really would have been great if we could have got a Japanese actor for this Japanese part. I said, well, I got a Japanese name, you can use Anne. <laughs> Noriyuki, great, let's use it. <laughs> <laughs> Where did Pat come from? Pat came from a very early exposure in my childhood to uh, a priest who was um, the main guy for all the kids I grew up with. Not all, but a bunch of Oh, you guys get to go to confession and <laughs> do them deeds and <laughs> stuff, you know. And I just want to be part of the game, you know. But um, um, their priest was a, an Irishman. And he said, sure, and if you're a Japanese, you should have a name like Patty after me on the So when I needed um, an American name, uh, that's the one I said because uh, there was a time right after the war when uh, a lot of the Japanese kids who only had Japanese like myself, my brother, who took America, made the transition to go back to school each year. Yeah. Pat, I know a little bit about your background. Uh, as a child, uh, you had quite a lot of illness when you were a child, and then, of course, during World War II, you were in uh, one of the... Um, um, well, what do they call them? Well, they call a lot of things. Detainment. Detainment, yes. <laughs> That's what I was searching for. Yes. Relocation centers. <laughs> so, uh... Move you out of the part of your life that Excuse me, you were on a roll and I interrupted you. No, okay. But, uh, the point I'm getting at is that, uh, your childhood was not full of happy things. And yet, then you grew Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, well, I was as, as happy and buddy as I could be, in spite of my physical condition. You were thrown to the back of my family in the hospital, and I had spinal tuberculosis. And in those days, 
any time in the 30s, anybody that got tuberculosis and died through the medication, the remedy was uh, rest, uh, sunshine, fresh air, and three squares a day. I hope you make it. <laughs> you know, and um, until the year before the war started, 1940, I, I uh, had an operation for the Fusion and cleaning it up, and now they have the medicine. So, you, um. And I walked in the hospital every day. Really? Yeah, the road was on 43 at night. So, then when you got out of the camp, uh, did you know then that you would end up being a stand up comic? No, 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 no. I was just trying to get you out. trying to adjust now to a real outside world. And you know, the thing that saved me in my head were my customers. They didn't treat me. For the first time, I, I, I was neither called Crippled or Jeff. You know, I really just, hey, boy, how are you? My name is Tank, and then, you know, but I mean, you know, we just kind of had fun. So the next, uh, my high school years were very happy. My uh, parents used to fool the way I went to high school. So I was <laughs> staying out a lot. Staying out. So that that was the beginning then, the genesis of your outgoing and your coming out of the show, yeah, and your comedic outlook on things. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. Started to crystallize, funny things started to crystallize. In the Karate Kid, of course, you are not doing comedy. This is a you're a surrogate father, as it were, yeah. and. Uh, you have some beautiful, sensitive, lovely scenes. Yeah. Oh, just super. Um, but I'm curious as to how you got the part, since you don't have that image. I, I was probably last on the totem pole in terms of being considered the part, mostly because whenever my name came up from casting people and, and whatever, Jerry Weintraub, the producer, said, no, 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 I don't want to comment. It's not a comment, Jerry. I'm an actor. If I'm an actor, well, it must be an all-of-American getting an actor. So the cattle call went out, and um, John Abelson, um, when I first met him, he had a, 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 a nice, nice uh, a blue Danish eye and a nice half a bottom head and everything else was one of them. And then this side was a camera just like that. And he goes, hi, Pat, how are you? And I said, I'm going to sit down and still comfortable. Uh, tell me, did you read the script? And he got this thing wired to a battery pack and <laughs> tried to get comfortable, you know, for the reason. And so I do an audition that he takes. And several days later, he and Jerry Weintraub are in a conversation talking about wardrobe and transfer all the problems that they put in And suddenly John does one of this, his assistant turns on the monitor, and he plugs the monitor into his audition tape. And now um, Jerry looks at it. He says, wait, uh, there's Miyagi. Who is that? That's that's Miyagi. We don't need to look anymore. Who is that? John says, that's the cat we need if you want to consider it for the world. <laughs> What a wonderful story. Is that story. an incredible story? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he got very excited, and he and John, uh, and from that point on, he was, 
and nothing but a cold fan, you know. Uh, and at his level, <laughs> to have that kind of fan is really good. Oh. So, uh, we, we, Columbia still had some doubts. So they had Ralph and I meet. They kind of looked at us on the plane and said, okay, look, you guys, uh, you can rehearse whatever for four or five days and do a screen test. So Ralph and I worked, really worked. I mean, we had to do the physical and, and, and find the characters and the relationships. And um, we do the uh, audition that weekend. I split for Northern California just to go visit cousins and just to get away. Monday morning at 8.30, and I do not know this day how Jerry Weintraub found me, but there's ding ling ling in my cousin's house. And I go, I'll go for you. <laughs> Jerry says, Pat, before your wife, your agent, the world, anybody, I want to be the first to congratulate you. That's the part. Wonderful. So, uh, Cinderella success story is still happening. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. Uh, now, I'm not into karate. I, I, I just don't no, no, know anything I'm, about it. But... Only what I learned. And I tried to forget it. Any talk about a sequel? Yeah. 
um, I lose it. I do decide to drive past. It's so pleasantly little, little uh, daytime conversations about. Uh, this is very rare because, um, you know, it's not that secret that accuracy loses out to person. So some people can be ahead level, but people can be. Well, Pat, it's been fun having a chance to meet you and talk with you here at the mansion. Thank you. Very and uh, I look forward to having you come back again, whether it's for a sequel or maybe even before that. How about just for a visit? For a visit. I'd like to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pat. Thank you. We have not used this system before that I know of. Well, I could if you would help me, Pat. <laughs> How does Pat keep up? Your childhood was one of a lot of illness, and then you were in a Japanese-American internment camp. Um, how did you develop this wonderful sense of humor? generally think of you as a dramatic actor, like you are in the karate kid. So how did you get this part? Is the kind of karate we see in the tournament in this movie, is that legal? saying then there are different rules for different tournaments. Huh? Yeah. Did you know karate before? What was it like having to do all this karate for you? Because of John Avildsen and Rocky and Bill Conti, who did the Rocky music, the public probably now is going to draw a parallel between the two films. Did that bother you? Are you bothered by the Rocky comparison that seems to be inevitable? <laughs> I, I think that was hard. Yes. Is there any talk about a sequel? Okay, now let me just give you the answer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely.
his faith to support was laying on the mat. That's also exactly what we're doing. And in the beginning, there's some students who resist this, and I'll, I'll start to go back down here because it feels too high. And when I ask them, why does it feel too high, I actually hear a couple of them say, well, I feel like I'm sitting on their neck, not on their back. That's the point, right? You want your weight up here. So now watch the difference. My spine lined up with his shoulder. And really, it feels more like I'm sitting on top of his neck than his body. So here's the difference. Now I'm getting things more Line my spine up to the line of the shoulder. Okay. I haven't done anything different with my legs. I'm not pushing, I'm not driving, I'm going to do that in a second, but just got it connected. Make the beat different. So every time we're playing cross sides, you'll see this if you get into the other position. If I'm facing the legs, I'm facing the head, the weight now is probably going to be higher than we normally used to.
is a planet outside of our solar system, and uh, he's uh, physically very similar to the human in anatomy, but his uh, psychological and emotional orientation are quite different. He has complete emotional control. He's very scientifically oriented and is a very logical creature. The uh, point is that Vulcan was a planet that was very warlike and a very fierce race of people who almost did themselves in because they were always in conflict with each other and their emotions were so strong that they finally decided that emotion had to be done away with. And it became uh, uh, a wise choice to uh, control emotions and gradually breed them out of the race so that they could function more logically and survive. Well, you very seldom show emotion then. Is this very difficult? Sound. Well, you mean from an acting point of view? Yes, from an acting point of view. Excuse me. Not, uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but of course that's my job. Uh, showing emotion or not showing emotion, whichever the case yes. may be, is the actor's craft. You know, I'm often surprised when a, when a man comes in uh, to my house and can fix a leaky faucet, you know, uh, that I've been working on perhaps for a couple hours and only managed to make it worse, you see. That's his craft. He comes in and does it. My craft is to play interesting and unusual characters. Why is your part so successful, do you suppose? Well, I think there are a lot and of it reasons. Is. Well, evidently, yeah. Yes. Uh, the mail would, would seem to indicate that. There are a lot of reasons. I think uh, it starts with the physical appearance. I think the fact that he is uh, such a, uh, a wise individual. I think people are, are fascinated with the idea that, that a man in the future may know something that we don't know today. I think they look to him for answers. He's a very dignified man and commands respect. Uh, he's uh, obviously very intelligent. The control of the emotions, I think, is a very important thing. The fact that he's cool, the fact that he's sophisticated, he doesn't get riled in a situation. He has control of himself. All of these things are working. Your makeup is most unusual. Does that take a long time? Well, it takes an hour and a half, which, after you've done it for the 150th, 175th time, seems like a very long time. Yes. <laughs> and whose idea was it to have pointed ears? Well, that started with Gene Roddenberry, who's the creator of the series, the executive producer. He, uh, he saw the character with pointed ears and various other physical things which we experimented with. And, and I should say that just before we started shooting the show, we had experimented with four or five different types of ears. And we were not happy with any of them. And I got a little nervous about it. I thought this is going to be awful funny if these ears don't look right. And I went to Gene and I asked him to give up the idea of the pointed ears. And he said, no, he wouldn't. We're going to keep working on this, and we'll get it right eventually. And he said, I promise you that if you do the show with the ears, at the end of 13 episodes, if you're not happy, I'll write you a script where you get an ear job. What are they um, made of? They're made of foam rubber. And it's a, it's a tip, a foam rubber tip that's cast in a mold that's made specifically for my ear, and it fits up on top of my ear. And it takes about an hour and a half. Not just for the ears, the just eyebrows for the entire, and the entire makeup. Uh -huh. yeah. Is it, are they uncomfortable to wear at all? Oh, sometimes, but uh, not terribly. I've more or less gotten used to them. My ears have become accustomed to the point. To being pointed. <laughs> You're definitely tight now. Can you think of other parts? Uh, do you think it will be difficult to take other parts? I really don't worry about that for this reason. If, if I were to concern myself with that while I was playing Spock, I think that playing Spock would cease to be the pleasure that it is. I'm having as much fun playing him as I possibly can. When the time comes to think about other characters, I'll start thinking about that then. Well, it is so successful. It could go on for years anyway, couldn't it? Well, I would hope so. I'd, I'd like to have a steady job for a while. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any time off? We take a hiatus, which we just finished uh, in the spring. I had about 10 weeks off during which I made several trips around the country. I was in Medford, Oregon. I was in uh, New York. 
three different uh, three different occasions: um, Washington, San Francisco, New Mexico, and so forth. And then now we're back to work. But while we're shooting, I don't have any time off now, except on weekends, Saturdays and Sundays. People recognize you, don't they? Yeah, I guess the hair makes it pretty easy to spot. Of course, I have had young children in the stores and places when I've been shopping say, that man has a haircut just like Spock. Really? <laughs> yeah. And they didn't realize what they were saying. Well, and then on a second look, they say, could it be? You know, that kind of thing. Well, it is your own hair. Yes, it is. It's it a bit of a yeah. beautiful, nice and Thank thick. You. The speed of your ship, how fast does it go? Well, we, uh, we get into trouble if we try to move any faster than warp 8, which what's, what's is eight, 8 times the speed of light. It's awful fast. We have gone faster than that in rare emergencies, but we try to avoid that because it's awful rough on the ship and it's rough on the system. I would think so. Well, beaming down, is that painful? Beaming down, you mean that process when we leave the ship leave, and come uh, yeah. down onto a planet? No, it's not as a rule. Uh, what, it, what it amounts to is uh, very... Briefly, we take uh, matter, which is the human body, and we convert that to energy, and we move it from one place to another, just the way you move a television picture from the studio into people's homes. And when we get it to the place we want it to be, we reconvert it to matter. Now, under uh, ordinary long, circumstances... How long does that take? How much oh, time? just a few just seconds. Like a few seconds, yeah. Now, just, it doesn't take very long for the picture to get from the studio to somebody's home, for example. Uh, that's under normal circumstances, we don't have any difficulty. Sometimes we run into barriers, just the way a person runs into trouble if they have a mountain between the studio and their home. Their reception is a little difficult, and getting through those mountains is kind of rough. Well, you know? What do you do in a case like that? Oh, suffer a lot. You know? it, it's painful then. Is there yeah. a lot of suffering going on? <laughs> no, we make it all right. <laughs> well, are there any of these things that you do, could they actually take place scientifically? The scientists tell me that they could. The people uh, in the various NASA installations that I've visited, and, and they're certainly the people whose opinions I respect, tell me that we work constantly with a thread of scientific possibility in our shows, that we're not doing fantasy, that we're doing potential science fiction. We're doing science fiction, which means potential science possibility. You know. Are you married? Yes, I am. My wife's name is Sandy. We've been married for 13 years. I have a, a daughter, Julie, who's 12, and a son, Adam, who's 10. What do the children think of this part that you take? My children? Yes. They're very excited about it and very proud of it, I think, particularly because Spock is a character that you can take pride in. You know, it's nice for a change for me to be playing a character that my children can be can be pleased to identify with. For a long time, I played some pretty nasty characters, and I don't think they were too excited about that. Do they always watch your show? Always, yeah. Well, you've been a delightful guest. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much.
monster producer is taking me for a ride in this Honda. I'm in the back seat, all strapped in, nice and snug and comfortable. And in the car seat. sound asleep safely sleepbabylove.com Thank you. 
Whichever of these methods you use, you'll be saving time and money, and you won't be out on the road exhausted. And if you're not using the car every time, your child may get better at falling asleep on his own. Sleep training for both you and your little one. Susie Parker is a founder of Sweet Baby Love and a certified infant and child sleep consultant through the Family Sleep Institute. And Susie's not writing the world, but ridding the world of sleepless families. She loves spending time with her two girls that have given her a ton of real-world sleep experience head-on. Mr. Producer, I, I think I've, I've done enough reading of the websites and books. I think it's time to go to sleep and dream. What do you say? There used to be some unpleasant people who lived in that part of the building. But I got to tell the next guy to come in. Strakov, a live version. longer to catch a, a total butthead. But he doesn't want to wait any longer. Right, this riff's got some good pinch harmonics in it. Just make it sort of crawl up your spine a bit. 